When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and welcome to the show. Today, it's an international break special. Of course, we'll be looking back a little bit more in depth at Friday's win at Nottingham Forest. Plus, we'll be grading... Fulham's season so far. I think you can expect those grades to be pretty high given the incredible first seven games that we've witnessed under Marco Silva and Boa. And also, we're going to take a look at the rest of the league and where Fulham stand. Well, we know where we stand, sixth, but maybe how we fare with 31 games left of the season also in part two we're going to do a bit of an ask us anything open the mailbag we'll be talking Fulham we'll be talking other teams we'll also be talking kind of silly Fulhamish questions as well some fun in part two and then in part three this will catch on as ever and I'm not joined by the regular Thursday crew today I am joined by half the regular Thursday crew and Jack Collins hello hello how you doing Sammy you're right yeah, good, thank you. And stepping into Peter Rutzler's enormous shoes is Drew Heatley. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome back, sir. Nice to have you on the Thursday Club as our regular stand-in whenever uh, Jack and Peter are away. Does anyone know where Peter's gone on his holidays, Jack? Do you have no, any idea? that man deserves a break. Fair play to him. Yeah, he had to do transfer deadline day on his birthday. So yeah, he definitely deserves a break. I bet he's gone... Well, what, what, what we predict? I reckon he's gone camping. Camping in the New Forest feels very Peter Rutzler. Wow, I was going to say, I think he's probably in Italy or somewhere. He's but got okay. to be on a plane, surely, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. He does like going camping, though. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. It's, um, you, you know more than me, by all accounts. No, I don't. I don't. We'll, we'll take the prediction. Drew, any predictions? We can find out on next week's podcast. Where did Peter go on holiday? Uh, I'm going to say Spain, uh, hoping that we don't pick up any free agents while he's out there sunning himself. The last bit of the summer sun. <laughs> he's always hard at work always on the grind is Peter Rutzler I'd like to imagine him in Marbella drinking a beer at 10 um, <laughs> moving on to Sangria for lunch um, I don't think that's Peter's style is it right let's get on to uh, reaction more reaction from Friday's brilliant win um, Drew I know you were gutted not to make it up to Forest on Friday given it is the city of your uni days um, but hey what an incredible night um, for Fulham and the reaction since I think has been interesting. I feel like a lot of forest discourse in, in all of the reaction I've seen and not a lot talking about Fulham. I still think despite sitting sixth in the table, we're still a bit under the radar and, and I actually don't think that's a terrible position to be in. No, absolutely not. I mean, I'd, I'd love it if they'd put Forrest at 3pm on a Saturday, but they seem to always jiggle it for some reason. I think it was cricket, some sort of scheduling cricket thing this time, which uh, yeah. which done me in. Yeah, no childcare on a Friday. So uh, I was I, I didn't watch the game live, but I looked at it afterwards and uh, and the buzz of seeing the score was excellent. I had my phone off superstitious, superstitiously. I saw the result and then I got to enjoy the whole game and uh, highlights across the Saturday knowing, knowing what happened. But 
yes, in all of the different sort of stuff I was digesting throughout the weekend and, and onwards, it is all Forest, And I suppose it's the biggest story, isn't it? It's, uh, it's the doing the Fulham uh, that we've we've delved into quite a lot on the website and we've all spoken about before. It's, it's the interesting thing. But for us, absolutely, people don't know what to make of us because they were expecting us to still do a Fulham. And by that, and, and in, by that I mean... Uh, be sort of down there and languishing near the bottom um, and you know being six I'm, I'm not sure people paid enough attention to what we were doing in the summer to really realize uh, you know where we've strengthened and how we're doing and obviously people were talking about uh, Polina rightly so but beyond him I, I'm not sure many of the the mainstream the mainstream media uh, know <laughs> much about what's going on with us this season so so of course they're going to talk about Forrest because that that storyline is is cemented and quite clear I mean, Jack, it is two contrasting promoted teams, us and, and Forrest. And even Fulham fans in the summer were thinking, oh man, we should be doing what Forrest are doing, signing all of these players. And I was nervous when I looked at, at the signings coming in. Now, I do think that Forrest eventually, if Steve Cooper's given time, will probably crack it. Whether that's in time to save themselves from the drop is, is another question. But I think we're looking at two teams now. One has been here, done it, got the T-shirt, been bruised. And I think Forrest are going through their time realising that actually you can get to the promised land. But once you're here, you, it's not always as fun as it looks unless you know what you're doing. Yeah, it's a slog, right? And and ultimately, we're eight games into, or not even seven games into a, a thirty-eight game season, which is not enough to to completely completely settle any nerves, and it's also not enough to to relegate anybody for a bad start. But I think what worries me most for for Forest is that obviously they they lost their first game, fine, um, and and it was it was a tricky fixture. Then they get that first win. Uh, you know, against West Ham on, on week two, and the place is absolutely on fire. Everyone's really excited about it. Then they get a draw the week afterwards, you know, which is fine. That credible draw away at Everton. You go, okay, right. We've got three points at home. We've got a point on the road. This is where the season begins. And then they've lost four on the trot. And, you know, the the last two of these, to, to Bournemouth and then to us, I'd imagine will be both at home. Uh, will be very, very troubling to to Forest fans. A lot of people have Bournemouth down as the side who were you know, guaranteed to be relegated. Now they've they're, they're doing far better than than most people expected after they've they've got rid of, of Scott Parker and put Gary O'Neill in charge. They've they've come with some big results. You know, it was, it was always going to be tough for Forest. You know, having Tottenham and then going to City and they got battered in that City game. But these two will have hurt them, especially given the fact that they were ahead in both games uh, and have now fallen away and, and dropped six points at home to the two sides that came up with them. That is just not what you're going to have to do if, if you're going to stay up. Now they have a, you know, a derby next against Leicester who are also in dreadful form. That's going to be a massive game. Um, but I think that that kind of run of bad results and the fact that they've seen, they've already lost two home games, which, you know, and, and you can see this at Fulham, I think is, I think we go, okay, fine. The, the away games, We've had Tottenham and Arsenal. You know, we've given a good account of ourselves in both. We've lost. No one came away from those games, I don't think, feeling bruised and battered. They were, okay, we've we've given a good fight, but these are two very good sides, one unbeaten, one top of the league. Uh, and ultimately, we've we, we've held our own for, for the majority of these games and, and come out not being absolutely hammered. What we thought about is the games at home, you win the ones against the teams around you. You try and, and pull off a few shocks against the big guns while you're there as well. That's how you stay up in the division. And Forrest are losing ground in terms of games that are winnable at home. And that in itself, I think, would have hurt them quite badly. 
I love that I criticised all the mainstream media for focusing on Forrest yeah. and uh, we've done exactly the same. Um, I'm sure a couple of people listening will have uh, noticed that in the last five minutes. So, Drew, let's come on to Fulham. And I think what was interesting on Friday particularly was seeing the variety of, of goal scorers and, and the goals being shared across the squad. There was quite an amusing um, Forest fan on YouTube Um previewing the game uh, against Fulham and he kept trying to call us Mitrovic FC and he kept saying lines like oh obviously on Friday we've got the game against Alexander Mitch I mean Fulham um, and someone because it's the internet clipped it up brilliant he then um, proceeded to double down on this in a preceding video once he'd been caught out on it and still wanted to call us Mitrovic FC. I think Friday was quite nice, although I'd have loved to see Mitro get a goal because it actually would have meant he'd uh, achieved 50 goals in 50 games. He's still got one more game and able to do that against his former side Newcastle, actually, which uh, would be quite romantic. But anyway, it was nice to see the goals being shared around. It was nice to see the assists being shared around and seeing some of the quality within the squad and also the fact that the squad is now much bigger, much richer. We saw the likes of Dan James coming off the bench. We saw Willian uh, impressing. We saw Vinicius actually, I thought was fantastic when he came on as well at, at centre forward. So it's nice now that Fulham have this like depth in the squad. Obviously we've got a couple of key areas that don't have so much depth, but I think we're, we're starting to see that maybe this team can be a little bit more than just hoping Mitrovic gets on the end of crosses FC. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, you know, knowing that uh, we're not Mitrovic FC is something that we all know anyway. Having watched it last season, we had, uh, of course, his 43 goals, but we saw a fair amount of goals coming from uh, from all over the pitch, actually. Of course, not, just uh, the only one uh, not being Harrison Reed, who, of course, as we know, got his. So we, we, we know this. But um, yeah, it was what was really impressive for me on uh, there was two things that I really enjoyed about Friday in particular. One was uh, Williams Williams' performance, just because uh, you know I think we're all sort of there, sort of sniffing a bit at the fact that he's thirty four. I mean, he's a year younger than me, but I'm not a Premier League footballer. Um, <laughs> But we're slightly concerned about him and to, for him to come in and not only just get an assist, but also be involved in um, uh, in more than one goal. He was uh, it, it was a shining light for me. It's just adding the depth that we wanted, uh, especially because we had those terrible injuries to, to Manuel Solomon and, and Harry Wilson. And I think we were all sort of slightly terrified when those two came through the through the wires, through the internet. So, you know, we, 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 to see him come in and do that was really pleasing. And uh, obviously we, you guys spoke about it, but Tim Ream at that left back, you know, somebody on the Telegram uh, in the week leading up to Forest said, um, "Oh, I'm hearing rumours that uh, Marco's drilling uh, Tim Remitz at left back uh, this this week ahead of Forest." And I was being, uh, I, I turned around, I was like, "No, Marco wouldn't do that to Tim. No, he wouldn't embarrass <laughs> him like that. Tim doesn't need that. And Marco's not an idiot. He's not. That's negligence if he puts him in at left back." And then obviously, I look like an absolute mug. But I've never been happier to be to look like a mug. And believe me, it's happened before. That was nice. It was great because it just shows that. We okay. We're we're adaptable, and we have a plan. And it might not be the plan A, but our plan B. We're going to sit there. We're going to look ahead, and we're going to plan it, and we're going to work on it. And uh, and it came off. You don't want that to happen every week. Let's be uh, let's be clear. But you know, it's, it, those things to me uh, make this season so different to the ones that we've seen before. Yeah. Um, Jack, one player that, that stood out on Friday, not just because of his goal, but his all round play was was Harrison Reed. It was lovely to see him on the score sheet. There's a few videos just going around, like the movement in the away end, um, particularly for that third goal was was just really, really. I think it's just that 
extra relish. A bit like when Mitro broke the record. You, you just, you, you celebrate that 5% harder when, when someone that you love scores a goal. And when Harrison Reed scored and we all realised what had happened, not just three goals in five minutes, but also it had been Harrison Reed, I think just added a little extra spice to it. Um, am I being ridiculous that like... I don't think he's miles off if he keeps up these performances being in contention for England, mostly because of the lack of depth at defensive midfield. Not because like if he was, if he was a uh, right back, he wouldn't be in consideration. Or even if he was um, more of a kind of central attacking midfielder, we always have a lot of depth in some areas of midfield. But if you look at Calvin Phillips, I don't know if he's going to make the world cup. We've had to draft in Jordan Henderson. who's not had a great start to the season at all. Um, clearly Declan Rice is the number one in that position, but you do have to wonder the, he, there's not a million players in front of him in that defensive midfield role. No, I think you're absolutely right. It's a really strange one because obviously I, I look, let's, let's have it right. I, I don't think Harrison Reed is going to be going to the world cup. Now that's not necessarily because I don't think he's good enough. It's because I think that they're not going to make wholesale changes and draft call-ups this late to the wire. I, d- I don't think Southgate's a naturally quite cautious man. And I'd imagine he will look at bringing players, you know, around who have, who have been part of this setup and, and kind of just switching positions in order to make it work. But yes, in terms of actual calibre and performances, not just this season, but also the last time that Harrison Reed was in, in the Premier League and then, of course, in the Championship as well, I think I think he's a wonderful player in, in a two-man midfield. And, you know, I, I don't think he's a lone six. I've said this numerous times on here. I think with a player next to him who's happy to kind of be more of an anchor figure, he, he's a real addition to, to almost any side because of, of what he brings in terms of uh, his, his ability to snap into challenges, his ability to cover ground, his ability to to kind of break attacks up high up the pitch and, and, and turn the ball over uh, in, in important situations for Fulham. And, and, and that's what I think we've seen across the course this year. That relationship with Polina is really really starting to to, to to blossom, I think, at the base of midfield and they complement each other's strengths. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at England's midfield, it's Rice and Bellingham, Calvin Phillips, Jordan Henderson, James Ward-Prowse, then question mark, question mark, question mark. And you need at least four, I think, for those two midfield roles for, for this England side. Um, and, if, and if Calvin Phillips is going to miss the World Cup, then it does leave you with a little bit of gap as who's your fifth if someone else gets a knock or or an injury and, and who kind of steps into the breach. But yeah, I think it's just come a little bit too late and and, and the kind of platform wasn't quite there enough for him to to get the opportunity to do things. But you know, this isn't you know an end of an end of days by by any stretch of the imagination. And I do wonder you know, how, how this, depending on how this World Cup plays out for England, if there will be changes afterwards. And if so, if he continues performing like this, there's absolutely no reason Harrison name, Harrison's name shouldn't be in the hat quite soon. Yeah, I sadly think probably it's not going to happen, but keeps up this performance and, and Gareth may be going into uh, next spring's internationals, next summer's internationals. I imagine there's Nations League games and all sorts, uh, probably Euro qualifiers coming around quickly. If, I think if Harrison Reed keeps up these performances, then I think Gareth Southgate's going to struggle to ignore it, particularly if he continues to have injury woes. There's only so long Jordan Henderson can continue. So yeah, I, I really hope that eventually he can bang down that door, but I think it probably is a little bit too soon for the World Cup, barring uh, a spectacular injury crisis in the middle. So let's 
look at the season holistically. We're, we're seven games in. We should be eight, but obviously we know about the postponements that happened to the Chelsea game and other Premier League matches. Um, Drew, I saw uh, an article this morning grading Fulham's start of the season as A minus. Um, would you agree that pretty much like that's that's the that's the crux here? I would. I would maybe say B plus, but then we are sixth in the league. I, I think we'd have all absolutely snapped your hand off. So maybe we should just be stay, saying a star. I just feel like actually a couple of missed opportunities. You think maybe back to the Wolves game where one missed penalty away and we would have genuinely been in the top four. Yeah, I think it can't be considered anything at this point other than a solid A. Great start for me. You know, we've played Spurs, we've played Arsenal, we've played Liverpool. Okay, yes, we got one point from that, but we're winning the games against, you know, we beat Brentford who are, who are ninth and we beat Brighton who are above us in fourth. You know, and then we're beating the teams that we we think will be around us come the end of the season if if things go to to the way that we we you know always expect them to in in Forest. So, you know, we've done everything that we what we should be doing um so i'd say it's i say it's a solid a um you know i spent the whole summer sort of worrying just because our recruitment was so slow to start but by the end of it as you say you know we're not it, it's not perfect but it's i think it's solid enough and, and and that word obviously you guys have been throwing it around for the past couple of weeks because it, it really is but i think we've we've edged a little bit above solid now after that win against forest so you know obviously we could uh, we could be in the top four and that would be you know an a plus or whatnot but you know for me it's always 17th or bust at the moment in, the, in that first game to build that platform so for me it's an a hundred percent there's an 11th place buffer, Jack, which is uh, quite a nice little uh, gap of teams in between us and, uh, and where we eventually don't want to be. Yeah, 100%. And look, I mean, this isn't going to be new to anyone, but I've said for the whole time what Fulham need to do is stay above a point a game, right? And mm-hmm. and ultimately, that's where we are right now. This is this is the, the, the kind of situation we find find ourselves in and yes we're getting a little bit of a nosebleed being up here but that, that that's fine you know we, we take that um we look at you know the goal difference the goals conceded the goals scored we're plus one scored 12 conceded 11 we're pretty solid and 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 ultimately i, I completely agree with drew it's one of those where there's not much more you can ask for from this i don't think you know this is this is a start that we would have absolutely stamped down for I, I i would also give it an a yes the win against wolves being in the top four would would have probably pushed us up to to an a star but i i think that you know given the fact that uh, the teams we've played that we've given a good account of ourselves in pretty much every game you know tottenham aside maybe we haven't been completely and utterly dominated by anyone for like lengthy spells of games. Um, and, and I think that you, you, when you look at all of this in kind of conjunction, Fulham are hard to beat. Uh, we are picking up wins left, right and centre, you know, for, for, against the teams around us. We've beaten Brentford, obviously. We, we've beaten Nottingham Forest now and we've beaten Brighton. These are three games that have gone, right, let's target those three games. You know, let's target a couple more for, if we'd said draws against Liverpool at home and Wolves away, wins at home against Brighton and Brentford and beating Forest away and narrow losses to Tottenham and Arsenal at the start of the season, people would have laughed at us. Yeah. People would have laughed at that for, for a start. For, there was absolutely no chance. And so to be exceeding expectations in, in such a way, I think means that you can only grade this as a positive. Now, look, there are we've given up a lot of shots. We've given up a lot of relatively high quality chances. That's partly because of the teams we've played. Um, and, and so the, the next step is to go, right, that's a that's a really, really good platform. Let's look at this, you know, October schedule. And you go Newcastle, West Ham, Bournemouth, Villa, Leeds, Everton. 
How many, how many points can Fulham pick up in October off those six games? Because if the answer is sort of 13, 12, 13, we are well on our way. And that, that would take us to a, you know, to a point in, in this season where after 13 games, we're looking at 23, 24 points. That's more than halfway to what we'd, we'd imagine is a safe total. And, you know, we've talked about buffers before, right? And, and the fact that naturally for teams you know, in our position, with the, the quality of squads in the rest of the league, there are going to be periods of slides. There are going to be periods where, where things don't go Fulham's way. And, and, and that kind of buffer, if you can get yourselves off to a, a brilliant start, pick up those kind of points, then you give yourself that chance of going, okay, we can, we can afford a little slide in form. We can do something to arrest it and turn it around without it being absolutely cataclysmic. And that's where I'd like Fulham to be by the end of October in a, you know, in a position where we're comfortable. There is clearly, a, you know, a bottom pack that's developing here at the bottom of the Premier League. Now, it's a worry that, that some of these sides in West Ham, Wolves, Leicester and even Forest, if they, if they do get this side to gel, are decent, decent sides who are, have a very, very good squad. You know, most, most teams do in the Premier League, let's be honest, but you know, who, who are able to climb up the table with a couple of wins. If it is going to be one of these seasons where nobody is cut adrift and the whole thing is a battle, you have to give yourself that buffer so you don't get dragged into it. And I think that's what Fulham are doing right now. I can't ask for much more. No, you can't ask for much more, but you, I just have to look. And this is not why my grade is a B. My grade is an A, of course it is. But actually you just think of where, what even more it could have been. Liverpool possibly should have won it. Like we actually played better than Liverpool in that game. And we all came away a bit disappointed with the point. I think Wolves actually a point was a fair result, but we had the, the late penalty and the Arsenal game as well. We were drawing with four minutes of the game left and we took the lead late in the second half. I think as you say, Jack, Spurs is the only game I look at and think we absolutely deserved what we got, which was a defeat. And the fact that we made it a narrow defeat, I think flattered Fulham's performance. But it's, it's incredible when you think all seven games, the only one of them did we deserve to lose. And in some of them, we possibly should have got a win against Liverpool. We should have got a win against Wolves, which is just absolutely wild. And, you know, I know you say, oh, like, could we get 11, 12 points in those games in October? Six points, two wins out of those six games, which we'd probably be disappointed with at the moment, would still very much keep us well above a point a game. Now, I think that Fulham should be targeting a bit more than that in this period because you look at the games following that. You've got both Manchester clubs then before the World Cup. And look, I know Man United have had their moments this season, but they've also been churning out wins. And those are two games that you should expect zero points from realistically. So I think if we could get, let's say, eight points from these six games, I think we'd absolutely be on top of the world still and still have a lovely buffer uh, to those teams at the bottom going into a World Cup where most of our squad is going to get a rest, going to get a reset. Okay, a, a couple of key players are going to the World Cup, Mitrovic, the big one. But that would be a wonderful position for us to be in uh, for the rest of the, the uh for the rest of the season. Uh, just one look before we take a break at the rest of the Premier League. I know you kind of touched on it there, Jack. Um, it has been a bizarre start to the season. Um, it's starting the table to take a little bit more of a formation. Obviously, Chelsea and Liverpool, who are currently below us, are eventually going to get above us. 
Who's going to have been your standout teams as I'm actually definitely expecting those to go down? If you were to revise your predictions, I know you do it on ranks where you actually wait until five games into the season before giving your predictions for this very reason, because you just kind of need to see how teams start. What are your kind of key takeaways looking at the Premier League, both at the top of the table and the bottom of the table? Because a few weeks ago, for instance, I was saying... No way Leicester are going to be in this relegation fight. No way. They're too good. Too many good quality players. And now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, maybe they're, maybe they're not too good to go down. I don't think any team in this league is too good to go down, barring the big traditional six. Yeah, yeah, I'd completely agree with that. And, and Leicester look in all sorts of trouble. They, they can't defend for, for love nor money. Yeah. Now, there's a question mark over Leicester's performance because someone I heard someone describe Tottenham's 6-2 win um, as the worst 6-2 win in history, which, <laughs> which really did make me laugh. Um, but Leicester's ability to crumble is really starting to is really starting to worry me. Well, not worry me, that's not the right word, but, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, it, it, they just don't seem to have any self-belief. The fact is that they are woefully understaffed in terms of centre-backs and goalkeepers. The fact that Brendan Rodgers is sticking with Danny Ward despite having Daniel Everson as a backup confuses me greatly but it is what it is um and all their players who you know they, they still have good good attacking options here they've still scored 10 goals which is you know only two less than us and we're talking about us having a great season but they've conceded 22 they they really can't defend um now whether brendan gets the time to turn that around or not or, or they were they appoint someone else to to jump in there and try and fix things i don't know but but right now it just doesn't look like they have the personnel at the back in order to stop the flow, and and that's that would be my big concern if I was a Leicester fan. You know, Leicester fan. I don't know necessarily if a new manager is going to shore this up, and I, I can see them doing what like we've used the phrase doing a Fulham on this podcast way too much but um you know when, when we brought Ranieri in and he was like right the way to shore up this defense is is to just go five at the back. I don't think that's going to help Leicester. I, I, I don't know because I don't think they have enough pieces to put into place to be able to actually enact such a system. Now, obviously, it will make them slightly harder to, to play through, but it will diminish their attacking capacity as well, which at the moment is their, their great strength. They've scored more goals than anyone you know, in the bottom half of the table, uh, aside from Leeds. Yeah, they've scored the same amount of goals as but. This is this is where we're at, and you're like, okay, how how do Leicester basically continue to use that attacking force while trying to stay sure up at the back? And I, I don't have an answer, and that's what worries me for Leicester. It, it, I think that they, without major reinforcements in January, and I don't think they're going to get them because they're obviously on the FFP line. Um, and I think that there has been an emotional toll on this ownership, not only by the tragic events, obviously, of the death of the chairman, um, but equally as with the kind of wins of, of the Premier League and the FA Cup. Is there an element where you get to Leicester and you think, how much more can this team give? How much more, how, how much further can this team go? Now, yes, they have quality players, but I do wonder if, if they've just reached the end of a cycle um, and without the ability to invest, it's really easy to fall behind. And, and and I feel like that might be what's happened to them. I think West Ham will be okay, but they're, they're very, very uninspiring. Palace haven't been great. Um, Villa haven't been great. Everton are better than I thought they were going to be. And Southampton are too. But I'd still imagine that Bournemouth, you look at that goal difference. I know part of it is the fact that they lost 9-0, but minus 13 goal difference ahead of pretty much the worst in, in, in the division and so much more than pretty much anyone else. I, I do think that when you when you look at that, they are still going to struggle, um, even even with the improvements under Gary O'Neill. I think it's going to be a tough ask for Bournemouth to stay in the division. So, but that third spot is, is well open. Um, and then Drew, looking at the top of the table, um, 
I've been really impressed with Arsenal, the way that they continue to churn out wins against sides that they should be beating. And actually, probably the most impressive for Arsenal this season was potentially the win against us, where they were under the cosh and um, we'd managed to get our noses in front and they really had to work for that victory. And after the United game, I was I was a bit concerned for Arsenal. I remember thinking, oh God, they could be on a, a classic Arsenal slide, the way they went to Brentford. Um, do you see them actually being able to, to run City all the way? Because I, I just look at City and I look at the combination of Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland and I'm like, you've got the world's best assister and the world's best goal scorer. Like there is literally no chance for anyone to do anything against them, but yet they've managed to kind of keep their noses in front um, Arsenal. So do you see there being a title race or is it just, we're waiting for a city procession. It's just that they haven't, they they always start a little bit slowly, draw, drop a couple of points in the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, I can't see beyond City, obviously, because, uh, you know, it doesn't take a footballing expert to see uh, what's going on there with what you said, De Bruyne and, and, and Haaland. I mean, I think the best thing that could happen for Arsenal is to set the pace like they have been doing, because you can see with Liverpool, I think they conceded the title. It was sounded like an exaggeration, but I don't think it was necessarily. The the teams are so, the clubs are so elite at the top of the moment that I think Liverpool surrendered the title on the opening day when they dropped two points against us. So for Arsenal, the best thing that they could be doing is keeping pace, but I think it's one of those things isn't it it's like uh you, you know you're being chased by somebody who can actually run twice as fast and that's what Arsenal are doing at the moment but eventually I think uh you know it's Halloween season I think that that Axeman Man City will catch up with them sooner rather than later um so yeah I can't see anything uh beyond that um but what's sort of interesting is you know the 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 sort of three to third to sort of sixth positions because uh I think they'll all get populated by the the uh the originals by the end but you know in which order is anyone's guess i mean liverpool have just uh not been anywhere near the levels that they've been showing in the past five years and you can see that klopp is just losing his mind he's you know these these great calm managers come in uh you know come in he has a little shrug and the smile and nothing can ruffle him and you stay in england for five years and you end up being you know manic trotting out facts like Benitez and just becoming a little bit frazzled and you can kind of see that with Klopp this year so I don't know what what will happen with them but uh, yeah for for the league it's going to be City isn't it but uh, quite frankly I couldn't care less who who it is as long as we don't uh, we don't go down yeah, I think uh, we, when you look at Fulham, it is the um, it is the big bird from Sesame Street in the meeting room, isn't it? When you look at Fulham amongst all of those teams up there and, and long may that continue, really. Um, right, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, uh, we've got loads of questions, Fulham related, non-Fulham related. It's all lots of fun to so stay there. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is the Thursday Club, and I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello, Sammy. And Drew Heatley. Hello. 
Right, let's get into some of your questions. Um, we've taken a lot of these from our Fulhamish community, uh, which is run via Leveller. Um, and you can get into our Telegram chats if you support us. It's just a way of supporting the podcast. Um, monthly, A little monthly fee uh, keeps all of our content going. Um, it's absolutely vital uh, to what we do here at Fulhamish. And as a thank you, we let people into this Telegram group. And it's it's awesome in there. We have lo- loads of fun, particularly on match days, transfer deadline day was a madness um and yeah it's, it's a really really good place uh to, to come and hang out and we're all in there chatting all the time um i'm i'm i use that telegram way too much i'm, I'm always um yabbering away in there so a lot of our questions today have come from our uh, fulhamish community in telegram um there's some good Fulham questions. There's some slightly silly Fulhamish, non-Fulham questions as well. Um, it's definitely someone's asked the rubber ducks question um, in there. So um, we'll get into those in a second. But this one, first one, actually, I want to take from Twitter. Uh, ben Walbron asks, question for the Thursday club. Tim Ream in for Polina against Newcastle. Thoughts? Cheers, lads. Uh, Jack? Man can play anywhere, can't he? So there you go. <laughs> Probably... Yeah, I'm going to say no. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's probably a step too far, and I wouldn't want to take him out of, of the defensive line wherever he's going to slot into there. Um, I just think that y- you want someone slightly more dynamic in in there. But I, I, that's as much to do with the fact that I don't want Tim Ream to be taken out of this defensive line uh, as I do, you know, as, as as anything else. To be perfectly honest with you, I, I, th- I think that how much he's been crucial to not only the you know and, and we saw this on on friday night i thought not only the the structure of this defensive line but also the organization of it you know and even from left back he's able to you know control the line he's able to make sure that everyone's stepping up he's still be able to be that leader in, in the back I, I wouldn't want to remove that from this line i think he he's a crucial part of it both mentally and you know in terms of physically I saw um, Tristan Pochericic, I tweeted about the, the Jao Polina conundrum, and we'll probably discuss this more on, on next week's Thursday Club when we actually preview the Newcastle game. But he suggested Issa Diop um, in that role. He's played there before. Yeah, it would be not that disruptive to our side because you'd imagine then Tim Ream could slot back. I think a lot of this rests on whether Anthony Robinson or Kazawa is fit. If not, then I, I don't think that the Diop idea works. But I don't. I don't hate it. And um, also a clarification um, on Sunday's podcast, Farrell said that um, <laughs> he did clarify it with, I haven't done the research on this, which I think was where his problem started. Um, <laughs> but he said, I swear that um, Diop did the most dribbles in the game um, against Forrest. So I quickly went on who scored and found that East Diop only did one dribble. However, what Farrell got confused with was um, yards carried. Um, and how much Diop brought the ball for? So dribbles is when you would go past a player, past when a player. you physically get past a player with a dribble. Yards carried is just how much you move with the ball, not necessarily going past a player. Diop's numbers for how far he carried the ball are pretty astonishing. He carried the ball 498 yards. And this is from the other 14, which is an interesting Twitter account, actually, that basically does the stats for the Premier League, but takes out the first six clubs, um, the big six, not necessarily first six, because we wouldn't be in it. Ha-ha. Um, but Issa Diop carried the ball nearly double what the next player did, which was Fabian Scher uh, for Newcastle, who carried it 265 yards. So 
that's four lengths of the football pitch that he carried the ball on um, on Friday. So um, hell of a stat. And I, I think maybe clarifies that Isidio was extremely comfortable on the ball on Friday night. I didn't realise he had the ball that much, but Farrell did. So there's the clarification, by the way, um, on that argument. But yeah. Interesting to see if Diop is the option at DM. I imagine we'll discuss that a lot more on next week's podcast. Right, let's go into some more slightly silly questions from the uh, from the Telegram. So Luke ZG asks, what's the Thursday club's favourite watering hole in SW6 and pre-match favoured tipple? Uh, Drew, I'll start with you. Favourite watering hole and favourite uh, tipple. Is it a milkshake IPA? Well, I'll start off by saying sorry to anyone who was hoping to find out, you know, what Peter Rutzler's favourite pizza topping or anything was. You talk about Big Bird in the meeting room. I'm sat here now answering uh, answering these questions, but I will. I will anyway. I'll do my I'll do my very best. Uh so my favorite pre-match pub is the Blue Boat. Um I know that's you know probably a bit Tory of me, but I do enjoy uh, their <laughs> I do enjoy their burgers. Um me, my dad, and my brother go there uh, every every week. Um, I used to go to the line every single week, but you know, sometimes I just got a bit fed up with the old toilets, especially when they pumped all the money into changing it, uh, renovating it, and they left the bogs alone. So that's when I that's when I departed. But so now I live the high life in the blue boat, and uh, you're paying like seven pound twenty for an IPA. Um, they don't have a yeah, it's pretty grim. They don't have a huge uh, selection there, uh, so I'll usually go for. I'll be one of those. <laughs> I'm, I'm just this massive cliche with me ponytail, and me terrible beard, and I turn up and I say, "I'll have a neck hole, please." <laughs> you know, there are, I'm a dime a dozen, but that's me, a basic bitch. It's actually, I'm really glad you brought this up because I had such a. Um confusion so i think it was maybe it was one of the midweek games last year i want to say peterborough at home and um we arranged to meet up for a drink a few of us went and um, we said where, where should we go and you were like oh i'm going to the blue boat i thought hey i'll i'll, I'll um take a line bike up to hammersmith and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go join him there is a pub the other side of hammersmith bridge called the blue anchor oh, an 18th mm. century riverside real ale inn so the whole time you've been saying i go to the blue boat i was like oh, that's so good that drew goes to like the blue anchor he goes a bit further out his way to support the lovely local historic pub i could totally imagine you in there with a nice pint of ale and so i typed and and so i went to the blue i went to the um just, I just assumed it was the blue anchor and I knew where I was going. Went in there. I was like, Drew, I can't see you anywhere. And you were like, well, I'm here. I'm right by the bars. And that's obviously it clocks that the blue anchor is not the blue bow. Went down to the blue bow. I was like, oh, you. Yeah, just in a local food. <laughs> yeah, Drinking in here by all the posh flats and stuff. Um, having a neck oil, as you say. So, um, yeah, I was, I was a bit disappointed. I'm not going to lie when I realized that you'd been drinking in the blue boat and not the blue anchor. I, d- I definitely recommend the blue anchor, by the way, if you, um, fancy yeah, a slightly fun, different um it's quite far from the ground but it, it's something a little bit different it's very english if you want to go to a like a ted lasso pub the blue anchor is um is kind of what you need uh jack uh, i know the answer but yeah yeah uh, I, I drink in the duke of cornwall because it has the best guinness in Hammersmith. um the the lad who owns it is, is a monohan man um and they do a, a cracking pint of guinness although uh, the brilliant uh bar lady or bar manager um, has just left. Um, she was absolutely great crack. Um, she was sadly a Chelsea fan, but I remember being in there on a, a day that Fulham were playing QPR and the pub was full, both sets of fans. And she was just buying the bar in a Chelsea shirt. And I was like, you're brave. And she was like, I'm not brave. I just won't serve anyone who's a dick. And I was like, all right. Yeah, fair <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I was like, yeah, I suppose you can't have that kind of have that kind of power, don't you? Um, but yeah, it's it's good in there. I do like the old city arms just actually up from uh, the the blue anchor and, and the blue boat, although it's been a bit worse since since COVID. It's right on Hammersmith Bridge, so it's struggling with the lack of trade, considering that the bridge is actually shut. Um, mm. And I was in the Chancellors the other week um, with Mr. Dan Crawford, and it's a uh, really nice in there as well. Um, I haven't really gone in there before games before, but it was um, yeah, it was nice. I really enjoyed it. I've only ever been in there just sort of randomly, not on match days, but mm. they put up a load of full of memorabilia uh, and they do good food in there as well. Um, and the, the Guinness is decent in there as well. So yeah, they're, they're, that's my that's my kind of area. I say, you could draw a little triangle between these three pubs uh, and that's usually where you'll find me. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been a bit lost ever since the old stuff at Punch closed because that was our favourite watering hole. Um, famously, we did a lot of like content there. We even did the Fulhamish live event there uh, a few years ago. It's, it's not been quite the same. I do love coming up to the Duke of Cornwall after games. Um, it's good. We've had some great moments in there. That's why I watched the uh, the playoff final when we beat Brentford as well, which was obviously uh, a magnificent night. Um, the bar I tend to go to is called Bishops. Uh, it used to be called Blooms. Um, not that many people know about it, but if people do know about it, it's getting busier and busier every single match day. Um, pizza. Oh, the food in there is exceptional. Um, good luck getting a table. Um, and never try to go to the toilet because it will take you half an hour. There was just like one toilet for the whole pub, like 200 people queuing up just for like a, a cubicle. Not like there's no urinals or anything Not like that. It takes, it, it takes forever. Um, but it's, it's really close to the cottage. It's got quite a nice outside area as well. And the food is fantastic. They show all the games. So I tend to go to, uh, to, to bishops, um, in there. And, uh, I have, uh, Sean Davis and Barry Hales sometimes uh, hang out there before games as well. So if you fancy uh, getting a pick with a Fulham legend, um, then that, that, that's often where they uh, they stomp around uh, before matches as well. Um, so yeah, that's one of my favourites to go to with my dad. But it's getting so busy now that you do have to get there quite early. If not, you can't get in or you can't get served. So sometimes now dad and I have we had to switch it up purely because we don't make it in time. Um, so that's that's the favourite walker in hole. Um, this is also one from Luke Zedgy. I quite like this. Have either of you got any super superstitions since the Preston North End and Luton Town games me and my mates now sink a couple at the blue boat then Crabtree magic worked again for Liverpool and Brighton so have you got any match day superstitions that you uh that you have to stick to um I have a couple uh well my my, my long-standing one which now stopped it stopped after the Europa League final because we lost but I took during the Europa League run I took uh, I drank from a fuller mug every single morning of every single game and to the point where I took I then took it with me to the final and I was in the fan square drinking my beer out of this uh, old club shop mug uh which uh, which is now now defunct the the handle fell off but the one I'm doing the one I've fallen into annoyingly recently is when I can't get to a game I'll just, I'll just turn my phone off because I did it for Brighton at home and I turned it on. We won, as I said about the forest, I did it, uh, it happened again. I just turn my phone off and check afterwards. Cause we've got the telegram group, which does pop off on a match day and I love it. But like, I, I just, if, for example, forest at home Friday night, I couldn't go, but I'm sat at home with my wife and she doesn't like football. She doesn't like Fulham. So I can't be sat on my phone all night. So I just turn it off. And uh, now because it's worked a couple of times, I have to do it all the time, which is, probably not great and it's probably going to ruin my enjoyment of not being at games but uh, the buzz when you click on when you turn it on you go straight to BBC or Sky Sports and see the result and you've won it's quite it's quite a rush it really is but it's uh, it's yeah it's not a great superstition as they go but that's that's what I'm in at the moment 
there's no way I could do that. Absolutely no way on earth that I could not know what the Fulham yeah, score was. It stressed me out. It stressed me out way too much. Even on my honeymoon, I was having to get like, I was trying like not to watch Fulham games, obviously, but like when I was Brighton, I was just quickly, I wanted the BBC goal notifications. I can't not. I remember once trying to like do the whole thing of like not watch a game and watch the full 90. Um, we went 2-0 down to Everton in the first 10 minutes. Um, and uh, I was like, dad, please, can I just actually find out the score and work out if this is worth me watching back? And he was like, no, son, no, it's not. Um, Jack, any superstitions? Um, I listened to Black and White Town by Doves, the more, the very, very first thing of the morning of every match day. Um, yeah, but very good. Love that, that song. Yeah, that's that's about it, really. Um, my, my routine is pretty the same. It's usually the Duke, and then it's usually that. I, I, I like the walk. I, I never, there's some people I found out recently get the bus down from Hammersmith to the cottage, which I suppose makes plenty of sense. It's much quicker. Um, but I do like that walk and I go the same way. And it's quite a weird little windy route. You've experienced this, Sammy. I, I, sort, of wand, yeah. I sort of wind my way down to the cottage, down the, down the back roads. Um, it's not particularly you know, niche, but it's, um, you know, I always, I always go down like Skelwith Road rather than Colwith Road, for example. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense, but it is just one of those things that I do. So yeah, that's, that's about it for me, really. Um, I just, I'm quite superstitious about what I wear. Um, I had a lucky scarf all the way through the Europa run, um, which, which, um, was, was, was very good. And I, and I always had to make sure I had the scarf. Um, and I'm just a bit superstitious over particular shirts. So for instance, I've got the official top from the season that we got promoted under Parker, which is the Daffabet shirt. It's cursed now. We've lost too many games while I've been at matches wearing it. So now I won't wear, I won't wear the Daffabet shirt. Um, I've got a new one, which is uh, like an old retro one from 92, which has got the kind of like uh, the old crest, uh, woven into it. And, uh, it seems to be doing really well lately so uh that's that's currently on a lucky streak but yeah shirts go on on lucky streaks and and un unlucky streaks uh joe cb says um what are the worst signings we've ever made in your opinion uh what's the kind of one that comes to mind when you just think of a, a terrible signing uh for fulham he did say can you do a worse signings 11 we probably don't have time for that but you can mention more than one if you have any smart fothering him isn't it <laughs> <laughs> He's the he's the one, isn't he, from those dark days? But in terms of they they were dark days because every time you signed a player, like unless you were an absolute expert in the lower leagues of, of Spanish football, which I'm sure Jack you were, I I'd always find it quite difficult to try and figure out who we were getting. So it wasn't necessarily the worst signing ever, but like they, when we signed Hosebed, I thought he's going to be he's going to be a well beater. This guy's going to fire us back to the Premier League. He's going to be incredible. And then, you know, nothing really happened. But, you know, I thought, like, little tricky Spanish player, we brought him in, could be really good, and did nothing. So he always if sticks to my mind. If he scored that free mind. kick against QPR, though, he would have gone on to be a Fulham legend. I'm, I'm still absolutely guaranteed that this is the sliding doors moment of Josebet's career. If he had scored that, that free kick, that the one that crashed off the bar, he would have gone on to, you know, to get 10 goals and 16 assists that year. 100%. Yeah, Imagine, really, that was that was his that was his um, sliding doors moment. I actually would say that Hosebed is up there as a worse signing from disappointment, not from like I thought that he was a bad player, but I really thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be our next guy. I really thought like he was going to be right up there. Similar for Brian Ruiz as well, who like maybe a worse signing, not because he was a bad player. He 100% wasn't, but what he like didn't achieve at Fulham when he could have been and you saw how much of a legend he was at FC Twente. But I don't know if he goes into worse signings. He's going to yeah, captain Fodder. Costa Rica at the World Cup this year. That man is still going. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, you actually only have to look at the, the kind of like 15, 16 signings and just a lot of it can, can go into, um, into this. Although clearly at the top, you it's really interesting to see that it's uh, Tom Kearney and Tim Reamer, the two signings. And then below it is just like a whole hog of like horrendous signings. I mean, surely Costas Metroglou is the one that if you're going to pick out also yeah, just like a, a lot of money, wasn't it? That, that's the thing with the, with the money spent and all of those things. The one I genuinely was quite excited about and, and never, really, you know, because I thought he was a player that had the capacity to kick on and be really good was Jordan Graham. And I know this is going to sound mm. like, a, like a, a kind of joke, but I genuinely mean this. Um, I, I really thought that Jordan Graham had the capacity and the potential to kick on and and, and, and kind of move up the leagues. Now, I don't think he was going to be a world beater in the Premier League, but I thought he would have been like a, a very, very capable championship winger. And it just hasn't worked for him at all. But like his skill set was all there. Like he had the ability um, to, to make things work and he just never really took off. And he's obviously slid back down the leagues again now. Um, and it's just, it's just never really exploded for him. But just in pure talent and, you know, what he could do with the ball he was a really, really, really exciting footballer. And when we signed him, I was like, that's a clever little signing that it's a, you know, one that, that has the potential to kick on and be a profit maker, or he can be, you know, a difference maker in the championship. And instead he was neither and just didn't really play. And then there was like two or three appearances. I remember away at Burton Albion, he was absolutely dreadful. And so, yeah, it, that was one that I was, I was excited about and it just never really happened, which maybe made me quite sad. One more that I just, um, and I'd forgotten about this signing. Um, we maybe need to do the whole Forgotten Fulham um, 11 again. We did that at the very start of Fulhamish. We put together a Forgotten Fulham. It was a really nice feature that we ran over several weeks. And um, maybe we need to, to resurrect that. Maybe the World Cup's a perfect time to do it. But um, Thomas Eisfeld. Oh, yeah. Who I, had I, completely, I had a Thomas Eisfeld shirt. I had completely forgotten that he played for Fulham. Seven appearances. We actually signed him for money. Um, two-year contract. They'll be signing for nearly a couple of million quid from Arsenal. Is that from Arsenal? Yeah, because I remember you like it's. It's amazing how quickly you're humbled when you go down from the Premier League. Because you know we signed Eisveld from from Arsenal, and I just remember going, "Oh, we signed a player from Arsenal. There's no way he's not going to be excellent." Mm -hmm. You know, and you just get so pumped about just if not a player you recognise, but a team, a club you recognise, and it's amazing how quickly that happens. A hundred odd appearances for Bochum in the Bundesliga, um, and now he plays for Rotweiss Essen. In the, I don't even know what the, the German phrase is. The second division is the Weiter Bundesliga, but the third Bundesliga. So he's he's out of the, you know, almost out of the pyramid. He's twenty nine. He should be in the peak of his career, um, and instead he's he's playing in the third tier of German football. So, yeah, a real fall from grace. Yeah, I had a Tommy Eisfeld shirt with seven, <laughs> a match worn, seven on the back, and um, he, I, I brought it with me to. Uh, Belgrade once because there's a there's a Fulham bar in Belgrade and I went I was like I was going to give it to them and put they can put it on the wall or whatever as like a thing and obviously the bar was shut the day that we went to watch uh. it so I ended up having to watch it was actually that Brighton game where we went 2-0 up and drew 2 all. Oh, yes. um, I went so I had to watch it in a different bar and then I went over to Montenegro um, to Kotor and I met you know the the person who I was you know the, the Airbnb host her son was a Fulham fan and I was like what <laughs> like what's going on um 
And so, yeah, Nicola, who I was chatting to out there, he was he was a massive Fulham fan. So I gave him my Tommy Eisfeld shirt as a as a sort of thank you because he, he looked he probably looked after us when we were in Cottle. Um, like absolutely lovely man. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a bit of a random one with Tommy Eisfeld. There you go, fun story yeah. for today. I enjoyed if, that. If I enjoyed you, that a lot. If you were ever to meet Tommy Eisfeld, calling him Tommy, would that be a bit of a Moisey moment? I don't know. Moisey. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Moisey. Fucking hell. Uh, Next question. I like this one from Rishi Desai. He said, if you suddenly inherited the club and in the, then in brackets and a tidy fortune for spending money, what would you invest in over the next 10 years? Or to put it differently, if money was not an obstacle, what would your perfect Fulham look like? I guess there's, I mean, obviously we could just sign um, Neymar and um, every good player under the sun, but like, yeah, let's if, not if, do that. Let's 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 think about this logically. Okay, well, right, right, Jack, you're in charge of the club. It's what you've always wanted. Um, you've got a, you've got a big stash of money. Shade's given you a few billion. Um, what are your first few? Uh, what's your first hundred days look like? Uh, I would I would genuinely sort out the the concourses. Now I know this is a really difficult and a really tricky question that's kind of popping up on social media at the moment. So this is a an interesting one, but there isn't enough space to expand unless you build downwards, um, as MJG said on on Twitter today. And but there is also this rumor that Shard Khan is looking at purchasing some of the flats and the park on the behind the Hammersmith end in order to expand the concourse outwards in order to make it more kind of livable i suppose for the people in the hammersmith end so i would genuinely my first thing would be stadium improvements um now i know that this is happening obviously in the in the riverside stand as we speak and and that's going to be an amazing thing but i I do think that getting the back of those concourses sorted out um at both the the partly and the hammersmith ends as much as is physically possible would be a massive massive step um in order to improve that match day experience but i'd probably just continue and, and probably even increase academy investment uh, i think that you know we see we have such a rich catchment area in london um we've seen so many talented players pass through the academy and and just kind of building a strategy out based on you know bringing academy players you know in from from the rest of the world who who are especially talented um and and building them out as as a kind of revenue stream as well for the club in order to to make that happen as well as kind of feeding your own first team with with players of, of top quality that you've developed yourselves i think there's something we talk about this in German football a lot. The fact that, you know, when someone comes through and, and, and feels like one of your own and they feel like they're the representative, you know, of the fans w- within the pitch. Um, and I think that that's a massive, massive step for, for clubs and, and connecting with the fan bases and, and feeling like the club is, is part of, of your personality and who you are. And, and so to kind of increase that and, and try and invest even further in the academy would be the strategy I'd go for. You know, young, hungry players who, who have points to prove um, and can move through and, and, and kind of build down that kind of model, I would suggest. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would do if, if I was in charge is go for some of the slightly more simple wins with the fans, you know, not just things like ticket prices, but I feel like Fulham hasn't been very inventive in, in its way that it engages the fans for, for a long time. It, it's taken years for us, I think as a, as a fan base to convince them that Clappers wasn't like that good. And, and look, it seems like maybe we're starting to get on that road. Although the ticket prices this year would, would suggest potentially otherwise, although it was really interesting reading the most recent, um, Fulham supporters trust notes. And just, you wondered if like suddenly like the Chinese water torture that the, the supporters trust has been doing over the past 
dozen years. Things like them saying that they're looking into the feasibility of safe standing. I thought that what they said about ticket prices was no way an admission, but like it almost seemed the language was like, mm, okay, we're, we're looking into it. We're constantly evaluating. And I just wonder if finally some word is getting through and stability as a club would all, we always said would help this, you know, getting relegated, getting promoted every other season is not a way to build a stable club that thinks about things for the fans because everyone's just focused on what's the short term goal of either staying up or, or, or going up. Um, so hopefully we're getting there, but I, I thought that in admission that they were going to look into the feasibility of safe standing is still a mile away from like, we're actually going to do something about it. And, and they obviously are just waiting for the Riverside to be finished first, which is kind of fair enough, but hopefully because like this club, like is, is small enough and agile enough that we actually could be at the forefront of kind of supporter relations. We're not like Man United who have got like a mountain to build in order to kind of make their fans happy again. Fulham, you can make quite quick fixes relatively easily. Like there hasn't been any, uh, you know, initiative for away fans to, to support the club. And I think that the fan base is there and sometimes just needs to be engaged a little bit more and think a bit more outside the box. So it's not exactly things that take money, but you have to employ staff that care and you have to employ more people that come up with these ideas and don't just stick with the status quo. That's what you need the money for. But it hasn't felt like there's been a lot of interest, but I don't know, there's something about those supporters trust notes. Well worth um, checking them out, actually, if you haven't already on the Fulham Supporters Trust website. Right, let's go back to some slightly more silly stuff. Andre Bazile. If someone made a film about Fulhamish, which act would you want to play you? Um, Martin Compton. Right, what? <laughs> beating people up? <laughs> no, just I, I think Martin Compton and me are relatively similar. Like, I think we have okay. similar heights and similar interests. He has a much better beard than me, but I, like, I associate him with, with him quite heavily. So, yeah, I'd want Martin Compton to play me. Okay. I Fair think enough. he could do the job. I think he could do the job. Drew, anyone that you'd like to play you in... Uh, in your role in the Fulhamish podcast. I don't think it would be the most interesting film, to be honest. But no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I've always said that I look like every man, every white man in his mid-30s in the country, but I was told once I look like Matt Berry, which I don't necessarily agree with. But, <laughs> you know, if, if we're going to go for a look, at, if we're going to go for somebody who's in that profession, maybe, maybe him. I can't think who I'd want. Who would, who would, who would play me? I don't oh. know, mate. Can I be like Tom Hanks or something like that? Am I a bit above my station saying that? Um, I mean, he pulls he, pull, he pulls off every role. You know, he's, he's had some difficult roles in his life. Um, being host of the Fulhamish podcast would be, uh, you know, obviously right up there in in what he could do, stretching his ability. As long as he did the intro in his Forrest Gump voice, then I'll be in. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm into it. You can have you can have Tom Hanks if you like. Well, can I can I have Hugh because he's obviously emotionally invested in the pro- in the project. You know, Hugh. Hugh could be good. Let's go with you. Yeah, yeah. We might have to do a little bit of CGI to make him look a bit younger, but but let's go with that. We've, we've got ourselves a film here. <laughs> let's pitch it. <laughs> the worst film. Or ever. can I, if I want to stick down the Fulham, like, can I have Sean Delaney, the who plays. Um, Kenny and Killing Eve. He's a, he's a Fulham fan. He's a fan of the podcast. We could we could get we could get. I think we could get Sean if we that made works. this film. Yeah, I think that that's fair enough. Yeah. Okay, you can have Sean Delaney. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I'm Google. I'm googling now. Yeah, definitely. Let's go, Sean Delaney. That's a great shout. You know, right, there we go. Commission commission the film. Sean's yeah, Sean's yeah, the BBC near. to do something. It'll be fine. We're in. Sold. <laughs> um. 
This one from Joe Johnson, I like. Funniest things that either got cut out of an episode or were said when the mics weren't rolling, but you wish they had been. Um, I've been racking my brains on this one, um, trying to think of uh, of moments. I feel like a we few lost the whole the episode chart. once, didn't we? Yes, I, I think it was talked episode. about at the time, but um, yeah, there was the whole lost episode where um, I trusted a colleague at my former work to um, record the podcast for me, and uh, he butchered it and didn't do it right, so. <laughs> Um, now then they were in the days where we used to meet up to record podcasts all the time. Yeah. Back in the glory um, days, huh? Feels yeah. mental. I know it does feel mental now. I don't I know. I genuinely, I genuinely don't know how we did it. Um, meeting up every Monday as well. Um, mm. I mean, we should do it a few more times. We do occasionally meet up to do them, but um, I'd love, I'd love someone to have filmed setting up that we did for the whisper pod, um, after Leeds away. No, after, Hud- after Huddersfield away. <laughs> Yeah, um, like the the pod itself was weird enough, but the setup, trying to set up a pod in silence, is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, and and to be fair, a bizarre we lost that evening. It was it was dreadful, frankly. Um, but everything about it was just like, oh god, this is this is this is an absolute shambles. If you're new to the, if you're new to the Fulham mission, you don't know what the Whisper Pod is. Yeah, after we lost one nil to Huddersfield away in the. Uh... First season we promoted back to the Premier League. Yukanovic was still manager at the time. Uh, Jack and I were at the game and uh, we slept at my mate's flat uh, in Manchester, um, who was getting up at silly o'clock in the morning, I think, to go on a holiday. I think he was going away with work, but he'd been pretty clear, like, do not wake me up. So we tried to record and we were kind of like, yeah, that's fine. We're just going to come back and record a podcast. Then suddenly realised like how loud your voice needs to be to record. Well, we were in the living room and his bedroom was right off it. Right. So it was, yeah. it was one of those as well. So we, we basically did the whole thing whispering and it, it sounds like one of those weird ASMR things you hear on, on YouTube. It, it's really bizarre. I think we thought we were doing it fine. And then it was only in the edit. I said to Jack. I don't know how good this sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I think this sounds anyway. weird. I think this sounds weird. Um, but yeah, that was a fun one. I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, there's the time, uh, I mean, this wasn't on a microphone, but I was talking about it earlier in the group where um, uh, Jack Kelly asked to uh, film me for a, for a uni project and he asked to talk about Fulhamish. We decided to meet at Vodka Revolution in Putney and he stood me up because um, he overslept. Um, that was a low moment really where well, I was just sat there at Sitting 10 a.m. Vodka revs at 10 a.m. on your own. <laughs> With a lime and soda. <laughs> Lucky full Wonder- shirt on. Wondering where Jack Kelly was. Um, oh, what else? Have, uh, uh, Drew, any more to add to here for the uh Oh, God. I, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I was there for the, I'm fairly sure I was there for the Lost Pod, um, uh, which was quite depressing. Um, I think we lost to Chelsea, so I don't think it was that. We don't think we missed out on too much. Um but you know, luckily, I'm always I'm always terrified of uh, of saying something that might be left in the edits. So uh, I keep my mouth firmly shut until it's over, and then uh, and then I go to town on everyone. <laughs> um, speaking of, there was quite an enjoyable little excerpt which I might stick at the end of this podcast on the whiteboard podcast that uh, Dad Cook and Ben Jarman recorded, uh, where Dan. Um, 
proceeds to talk to Ben in the, uh, in the, in the gap in between the sections that, uh, I think Sammy hasn't given me enough instructions for this. And, uh, um, <laughs> then proceeded to realize that Sammy would be editing said podcast and would hear everything he said, uh, which was an enjoyable moment when I, when it came round to that. But yeah, thank you for that question, Joe. Uh, right. One more, uh, question. Uh, this one from Matt Littlejohn. Uh, I think we've answered this on a podcast before, but, uh, Hey, we might as well. How did Fulhamish start? What is the origination story also what is the story with the intro who is doing the initial read well the initial read is diddy david hamilton occasionally sometimes we use the ivan berry version uh the um the original pitch announcer and that used to be his catchphrase ladies and gentlemen it is showtime um and a friend of a friend was doing a pod with uh, Diddy and I, uh, I, I begged him, please, can you record a line for the podcast? And so uh, it's been in ever since. Um, it started in 2016. I had recently been working for the club with Gentleman Jim and I wanted to start a podcast. So I just gathered together a couple of people I knew, a couple of people that I didn't know. Like I knew Farrell and Dom before before um, doing Fulhamish a bit. Uh, I hadn't met Jack. I hadn't met Jarms. Um, and we just all kind of uh, started recording every Monday. The five of us kind of on a rotation. One of us was always kind of inevitably missing. Um, Drew, you came on. You were one of the first people to kind of jump in with Adam, I think. Yeah, um, about, a maybe about a year Maybe about a year after. Yeah, you asked if we could republish some of my program interviews on the Fulhamish website, and then so I went to the club and asked, and they duly said no, and uh, ah. so that was, uh, and then so instead you were like, oh, do you fancy coming on? And then that was it. Yeah, it was hooked ever since, and then pretty much from there it just kind of grew and grew and grew, and um, you know we're still doing it uh, six years later. Uh, we just uh, it was about six years the other day since we started our first Fulhamish, and uh, we absolutely love doing it. So um, hopefully there'll be much more than another six years in us. My um, original message to Sammy was actually when he was running the radio show uh, at Fulham, and I basically was like, "Do you need a co-host?" And he was like, "No." <laughs> I did not say no. <laughs> I don't even know if you said no, mate. I think you might have just ignored me. I don't think I really did ignore And then you. randomly I got a message like about half a year later being like, start a podcast, you're interested. I was like, yep, very good. <laughs> count, count, count me in. Well, one of the best things you ever did was message me. Yeah, I forgot that you'd, you'd messaged earlier when I was doing the... Um, I was basically like, I could be the Chris Stark to your uh, Scott Mills. And he was just like, you're right, mate. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I was like, you could be, I've only just managed to worm myself into this job, but yeah, sure. Um, I'm sure I can try and uh, pull a few strings. Hey, uh, it all worked out for the best, didn't it? Dude. Thank you for all your silly questions. Uh, let's do a couple of this will catch ons uh, before we finish the show today. We've been a bit self-indulgent on the podcast, but it's an international break. I feel like there's a time you're allowed to be self-indulgent. Hopefully is this one and hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it. Uh, right. So the first this will catch on uh, the email is from Hugh Daffid and he says, hi, Sammy and the Fulhamish team. Hope you're all enjoying our sixth position. You asked for a couple more entries for this will catch on. So here are two dead certs attached. We wanted to make up for the fact that we have no individual chart for two of our key players. Keep up the brilliant podcast from Leo, Grace and Ollie. So what I'm going to do um, is I'm going to play one of them this week and maybe save one of them for a future week. I don't know where Hugh fits into this because the email's from Hugh, but then it's signed off from Leo, Grace and Ollie. All that I can tell you is there is more than one uh, person doing this chart. It is for Harry Wilson. So see what you think of this and uh, we'll give it a rating. 
We've got Harry, 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 Harry Wilson on the wing, on the wing. We've got Harry, 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 Harry Wilson on the wing, on the wing. Harry, 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 Harry Wilson on the wing. Harry, 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 Harry Wilson is the king. Oh dear, very good. I feel like I just come out of him practice. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed What's it the original? Is that, that is a him, isn't it? Gang gooly gooly gooly, isn't yeah, it? We, oh, yeah. Gang gang gooly gang gooly, 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 <laughs> it's it's really well put together. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the musicality of it. Um, I, I, I really also that that change of time and tempo in the middle, you know, to really switch it up. That's going to confuse the Hammersmith then. Um, but on the whole, yeah, great. Really enjoyed it. Lots of okay. fun. Yeah, no, it was lots of fun. I'll definitely give them that. Thank you very much, guys, for nine, that one. Nine. Right, the final one is from Ash Rodriguez. Hi team, love the show. I listen to it regularly in Australia. It's a great way to keep up to date when you don't hear much new. I've been sitting on this one for a few months now and thought it would be a good time to offer it up. Um, it's for Alexander Mitrovich. Now, maybe you two can help me work out what song this is. Because right now I'm suspecting that there is no song and he has also created his own, but I might be wrong. So um, strap yourself in. This is Ash's song from Alexander Mitrovich. Alexander Mitrovich, Alexander Mitrovich, there are crosses from the wings for you. You won't have to slow down, you won't even need to break stride. Oh, Alexander Mitrovich, Alexander Mitrovich, <laughs> when the riverside sings for you. Do you know what they are saying? They are cheering the game you're playing. More cottage goals they will be craving. The ball is in the net again. See if you can stop it. He's gone and got the record. Now poor guy's no longer got it. Scotty P tried to destroy his rep. The Premier League forgot him. The team, look for him. The coaches, trust in him. The fans, they love him. Defenders, this is really clever. Fools to try to stop him. How many Fulham goals will he score? Just you wait. What's his name again? Alexander, Alexander Mitrovic. Bang! I know what it is. How? How? There was only one note that whole. It was like one of your spoken <laughs> word poems. There is, is it? To, it must be to a song, but I couldn't it work is out. To a song. I was. It sounded like maybe the Pokemon theme tune or something like that. Wait. Is this Hamilton. It is the start of Hamilton. The ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being the self starter by fourteen. They placed him in charge of a trading. You get a point, but hang on, it's like this. It's this bit. Oh wow.
Oh, it all makes sense. I've never seen it. I've got to say, that is sensationally written. Like it was, you know. The, I, I mean, there, there, there's some things to be desired in the actual the actual execution of it, but like actually, the 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 way that that's been rewritten is brilliant. <laughs> I'll have to listen to that back with a new appreciation. I might have to watch it. I know. Get it, me I, George. I'm... Get me George Cooper. <laughs> well, we'll do this. Get get this sent into me lyrically. We'll, we'll do this. I'm so glad you figured that out because I was there. He's not put it in the email. Why? Surely you need to add the context that you've taken it from Hamilton. Ah, I've actually not seen Hamilton, but I, I recognise the song when you played it. But wow, okay, um, Ash, brilliant work. Yeah, that, um, that, that, that unbelievably lyric, lyrically unbelievable, Ash. Like, I really, really enjoyed that. You've got him there, Ash. You've got him. Look, he's loving it. I'm really happy. That's made me really, that's really made me smile. Oh, well done, Ash. Well done, Ash. Right. That'll do for the podcast today. Uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, indulging us. I'm not sure if there's going to be a podcast Monday, Sunday. We're working on it. There might be, there might not be. You'll just have to wait and see. Uh, surprise. Um, but there'll definitely be a Thursday club this time next week, looking ahead to that Newcastle game and the restart of the Premier League. Uh, thank you very much to my guest today, Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Always a pleasure. And Drew Heatley, thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. All right, we'll have a lovely weekend uh, without Fulham, whatever you're doing. Uh, it is uh, non-league day. I know that Sutton are the only team in the EFL uh, playing inside the M25, but I'm sure there's plenty of other uh, non-league football to go to uh, if you uh, fancy a match this weekend. I think I'm going to go down to Horsham on Saturday to uh, to watch the Lardy Army uh, play, second in the league at the moment. So uh, it's exciting times down there. Uh, but whatever you're up to, have a good one. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.